at Hayes TSN. Here is Bruce Arthur from the Toronto Star. What's happening, Bruce? Hayes, I know what you mean. Right? Like in Toronto, we get used to a team being good really fast. Like immediately, remember when the Raptors got good and right. everyone was all of a sudden going, okay, what can they do to get better? What can they do to get better? Like we didn't enjoy just having like a 48, 49 win team. We, I think probably rightly, but we like, we complained when they weren't a 48, 49 win team. With these Jays, though, it's different. Like this is a quantifiably different team than anything we've seen in Toronto in the last 22 and, and maybe longer years like in terms of your confidence and how good they are they're just a different category i had no issues with that prediction prior to the series that two of three was an absolute lock and yeah. that's partially because atlanta is so bad and once they got price on the mound and estrada was lights out again last night and that's another conversation that i think at times there's a bit of a negative connotation to it and i don't think it really should be applicable there this rotation debate is nothing but positive like, the X factor is Mark Burley. Like, that's the guy that we're a little bit concerned about. 36-year-old Mark Burley, who has epitomized consistency throughout his career, who's thrown perfect games, no hitters, pitched in, in World Series. Um, I mean, I don't think we're really acknowledging how, how positive the rotation is right now because we're concerned about the unknown. We're concerned about the debate. Will Estrada get it done in October? Will Stroman remain healthy? Will Burley remain healthy? At this point, you look at the way Estrada pitched again last night, the way Dickey's been pitching recently, the pedigree of Stroman and what he showed a week ago. Uh, it's nothing but, but positivity when you start discussing how this starting rotation is going to shake out. It's hilarious how far we've come in 45 games is the way I would describe it, right? Because at the 50 and 50 mark, what you would say is that the starting rotation had underperformed. There were some guys who were getting hotter, but the starting rotation had really hurt you in the first 100 games of the season. The bullpen had been brutal in high-leverage situations, not overall, but in a ton of high-leverage situations, they'd screwed up. They had the lowest save conversion percentage in Major League Baseball. And the offense was really good. And so you had lots to worry about with these Jays, partly also that they were like seven or eight games out of the division lead. In 45 games, here's where we've come. The bullpen is not only top 10, but it's probably now top six or seven in Major League Baseball. The starting rotation all of a sudden has too many good pitchers. I asked John Gibbons, by the way, it was like two weeks ago, I said, okay, this team's going really good. What do you worry about right now? And he went, uh... Uh, what I have, what I'm gonna have for breakfast, I guess. Like he kind of said, like he hopes no one gets hurt. That, but that's where we are because one price is an automatic. Estrada has been outstanding this year, like really good. I mean, with all these guys, you can always worry because Estrada and Dickey and Burley are not power pitchers, and that's ideally what you want is swing and miss guys uh, who can overpower people in the playoffs. Okay, but these guys are good. Dickey has been, although he's a knuckleballer, you never know, he's been overall an ace since about July 1st. Burley, I talked to Anthopolis a few days ago, and he really thinks that Burley's going to look a lot like the Burley before those bad three starts before he had to get the second quarter zone shot. So Burley is a guy who can still pitch. Um, this is a really good rotation. Then you get into Stroman, and that's a whole other thing. We'll see how he does tonight. We are out of things to worry about with the Blue Jays except for this. One, injuries. So Troy Tulowitzki, fine. I mean, the Yankees lost Mark Teixeira. This isn't so bad. And two, all you really have to worry about with the Jays now is baseball. 
because in baseball, once they get into a seven-game series, which I think we all believe that's where they're going to start. They're not going to start in the wild-card game. They're going to start in that seven-game series. Once you get into the seven-game series, anyone can have a bad game, right? And uh, anyone can go cold for three days, even on this offense. So that's all you're really worried about. That's where the Jays are right now. This is the best team in baseball. It is the best team in baseball, and maybe not by a little. And that doesn't mean it's going to win the World Series. Seattle won 116 games and win the World Series. But when we go into the playoffs, all you got to worry about is that you might get unlucky. But that's it. We'll get to your phone calls on this. 416-870-1050. Scott MacArthur coming up in about 25 minutes, teeing up the series with Boston in town and Stroman on the mound tonight. Uh, I read your piece in the Star uh, entitled Trotting Out Patrick Kane, Embarrassing for the Blackhawks and the NHL. What part of that uh, press conference yesterday stood out to you? What made it so embarrassing from your perspective? Well, the whole idea of it. Like, I, I'm all in favor of press access, right? Like, I, I like that we get to ask questions. I think it's important. I think it helps me personally. Um, a lot of the stuff that we get in terms of the answers to our questions, and a lot of the questions aren't that good, but I still think the principles are important. I'm clearly self-interested in that. One, Patrick Kane shouldn't be at camp. Let's just assume that, because it led to something like this. Here's what they did. I understand that Patrick Kane can't really answer questions about what is an ongoing legal investigation. Nobody disputes that. Nobody is saying that Patrick Kane is definitely guilty any more than anyone should say that the woman who went straight to the hospital for a rape kit is lying. You cannot prejudge this. None of us know what happened. But there is clearly enough evidence to start the proceedings on a grand jury here, and that, that's in the works. Like, we're going to see what happens. I don't know what's going to happen. If you're the Blackhawks and you make the decision to bring Patrick Kane to camp and you know that he can't answer these questions, okay. You put him up there, you say he can't answer these questions, fine. Then what they did is this. Patrick Kane leaves the room. John McDonough, who's the president of the Blackhawks, starts in on a prepared speech about how great the Blackhawks are, how fabulous the, the Stanley Cup was, how him and Stan Bowman, the general manager, we're bad celebrators. We're still looking at the next thing. How they're trying to connect with their fans, to humanize their players, to get make sure that their fans know more about their players and their families. It was as tone-deaf a display as I've ever seen at a professional sports press conference. Because Patrick Kane just left, unable to answer the questions about being a distraction because of the legal case, which is why he's a distraction in the first place. And what the Blackhawks didn't do is they didn't come out and say, this is why we did this, and then answer all the questions about why they did that. They gave one statement, which basically made it sound like they think Patrick Kane's going to get off on this charge, and maybe he will. But the... The contradiction and the juxtaposition of those two things, of Patrick Kane's here, and there's a chance he's going to get charged with a very serious crime, and even if he doesn't, this looks bad to trot him out and stand behind him before it's been adjudicated. And then to go into, everything's great. We're going to sell a lot of tickets. We're going to sell jerseys. And you know what the worst part of all that is? They're right. Patrick Kane got on the ice today, and there was an audible cheer at Notre Dame, according to the people who were there. There were people lined up at 5 in the morning to get in Chicago Blackhawks training camp. The bottom line is it doesn't matter what the Chicago Blackhawks do with Patrick Kane, but that doesn't mean that what they did was right. I think it was more a calculated risk 
than being tone deaf. Um, I don't think they're stupid. I think they know why people were there. They knew what people were expecting. I think what they were hoping to do was get rid of a distraction by using a distraction, by trying to Mm -hmm. be distracting, by talking about other things. And I think you can chastise them for that, and I would absolutely be on board because that was never going to work. I think that was their hope. If we talk long enough, it's like when you get a lawyer on or you get a GM on. I used to interview Brian Colangelo. You'd ask him one question, he'd talk for 15 minutes, Mm -hmm. and he wouldn't give you a chance at a follow-up because he knew what he was doing. If you don't let the other person talk, they can't ask more questions. I got the impression like that was the case yesterday. I knew Kane wasn't going to say anything. I knew he was. I don't think he should have been taking questions. I think he should have made a statement and walked away. He would have taken heat for that. But ultimately, from his standpoint, it was either he breaks even or he loses points. Um, He may have lost points because he opened it up to Q&A and then, you know, he did what he did and it was very plastic. It was very prepared. But to your point, McDonough, Bowman, Quinville, I mean, they knew what was going on. They knew why people Mm -hmm. were in the room. Save the other stuff for tomorrow. But they knew why people were there, and they tried to avoid it as much as they could, and they looked silly. And it it, it was wrong in the end, and, and they didn't handle it properly. I really thought it was it was surprisingly amateurish. Although Chicago is not an organization that public relations wise gets high marks from writers around the league, they don't really care about the media. And okay, that's fine. You don't want to care about the media. That's your choice. To me, it's people keep yelling, "He's innocent until proven guilty," and that is true in the legal sense. Hundred percent, that's true. But what do you gain as the Chicago Blackhawks by bringing Patrick Kane to camp? What are you going to lose if Patrick Kane isn't in camp for a week or two weeks? This is a guy who missed six weeks or whatever it was with a broken collarbone right before the playoffs, and you went ahead and won the Stanley Cup. What would it hurt you? Like, I really, I can't wait from this thinking. They have enormous confidence that Kane is, is going to get away with this, right? Like, whatever it is, or that he, he will not be charged. Let's put it that way. That's a much better way to put it, that he will not be charged. And maybe that's the case. That, because this is a sexual assault allegation, there's all kinds of reasons that that might be the case. Like we've already heard talks of a settlement of settlement talks between Kane and the alleged victim, the accuser. With this, why would you do this? Uh, that, that's just my, that's my question. Why put him out there? Why do that? And to me, the Chicago Blackhawks have made a bet. They've made a bet that. Patrick Kane won't be charged, and that they, therefore, won't be held liable morally or any other way for standing behind him when the question was still hanging in the air. And I think yesterday put the lie to that, at least for me and for, I think, a lot of people. Uh, Like, I think a lot of people found that stomach-turning to watch. But you know what? Again, it comes back to real politics here. This is a future for professional sports. No matter what teams do, no matter what leagues do, the appetite for professional sports does not dim, right? The NFL had the highest ratings for week one that they've ever had this week, after the offseason, after Deflategate, after everything. People want to watch. People love the product. People love the entertainment. I'm one of those people. I love watching sports. But no one or not enough people are willing to make a kind of a compromise and say, you know, I'm not going to watch this because of how you act or your athlete acts. Um, and I understand that. But that's the cold, hard reality. And once teams really start to embrace that, I wonder where we're going. When we get absolutely nothing but boilerplate PR and just a lack of fundamental kind of community responsibility, 
um, I I kind of think that's probably where we're headed. Yeah, I think there's a level of arrogance to it. Um, I would almost use like the lockout comparison where, you know, they just they just throw it at fans, throw it at fans, throw it at fans, mm-hmm. and they take advantage of fans, and they realize the fans are going to be there in the end. Uh, yep. Because they're right, they are going to be there in the end. And I do think that that has become very clear. You look at the NFL as a perfect example recently. Uh, the Ray Rice stuff, the Adrian Peterson stuff, the Deflate Gates stuff. The average fan really doesn't concern themselves um, with these human beings. They think of them as players. They don't think of them as people necessarily. And, you know, a, cr- a transgression here or there really isn't going to change anything. Um, and I, that's what I found interesting a couple of days ago. I'm sure you saw this when Ronda Rousey came out and spoke on behalf of Nick Diaz, and she went on somewhat of a rant about athletes smoking weed and how it shouldn't be tested for. They should just be left alone. I think a part of what she was saying there was people really don't care. Like in 2015, they they really don't care. I think she's absolutely right. It's all about politics because when it gets to something more uh, legal or illegal, like smoking marijuana, as we continue with this conversation, um, it still is illegal in many states. It's illegal up here in provinces. So, you know, sports leagues feel as if they have to put up this facade that they that they can't accept it. That, you know, oh, people will actually care if we accept this or let this slide. So really what they're saying is people are concerned about fighters smoking weed, but not concerned about getting knocked out in a cage in which they're fighting in. Um, and, I mean, there's another piece I wrote about this or, or read about this morning where all these um, fantasy Fantasy websites like FanDuel and DraftKings, leagues are actually investing in them. Like mm-hmm. they are happily investing in them because they know they're going to make money. And as a result, they're pumping the tires and they're willing to promote these sites. Uh, so out of one side of their mouth, they're cool with fantasy sports, which is gambling. People have to mm-hmm. pay to get into the pod. But on the other side, uh, they're not cool with legalized gambling because on the one side, it's illegal. The other side, it's legal. It's all hypocritical. It's all a part of the game. Um, and in the end, I think they realize that, that the average fan you know, doesn't care as much in terms of what's actually happening and will show up anyway, so they're going to get away with it anyway. Two, two dictums as old as time. All people want is to be entertained. In Bread and Circus is the other version of that, the old Roman version. And follow the money. Follow the money. When it comes to stuff like FanDuel and DraftKings, there's evidence. It seems like that is a predatory enterprise where it's, it's, it's basically geared towards the sharps and it's not really you don't have a chance that much of a chance of winning big money i mean come on it's gambling but leagues if they can make money off that then fabulous because the, the societal prohibition against gambling is diminishing as is the societal diminishing prohibition against marijuana but the patrick kane stuff i think it's a little bit different um but what i've seen and what we've seen every time a, a high profile athlete is accused of sexual assault there are always a legion of fans who are willing to stand behind that athlete no matter what. Jameis Winston at FSU is a hell of an example, and there are more, and they keep coming. And I've gotten this pushback just from Blackhawks fans in the last 24 hours, tons of them. I've had people screaming at me that he is innocent. I know he is because he's really good at hockey, I guess. Um, it's a complicated and ugly and, and, and sad thing. But if you are a professional sports team, you know that your fans will stand with you no matter what, pretty much. If you're in a strong enough market, if you're in a good enough situation, if you're the Arizona Coyotes, it's a little different. If you're the Chicago Blackhawks, you're the Stanley Cup champions, man. And then the anthem gets played, the first game back, people are going to cheer no matter what you do. Good stuff, Bruce. Appreciate it, man. We'll do it again soon. Yeah. Bruce Arthur from the Toronto Star.